Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Barth. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog What's going on, guys? It's another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast here in the offseason on a Monday night um, in between Carolina uh, playing, of course, huge game, winning that game against Duke. Tomorrow night, they'll get ready to take on the Clemson Tigers on the basketball court. But while we have a little bit of free time, why not squeeze in a little bit of a football update? Because there is a lot that's going on around Tar Heel football that you guys may not be aware of. And it's an action-packed show for you guys. Plenty of stuff to get to here tonight, including uh, the staff changes to the uh, advisory staff for Mac Brown. Uh, there are some guys that have been here for a long time in Chapel Hill or have been, just been in coaching, um, in advisory roles throughout college football for a long time that stepped away this past week, Carolina now having to find some replacements for those guys, so we'll tell you about that. Carolina gets another transfer addition on the offensive line. It is the fourth time that Carolina has gone into the transfer portal to add offensive line help, but yeah, we'll, we'll tell you what we think of the addition. Is it one that can really help Carolina that much? Uh, also, Carolina missing on one of their top in-state targets in the 2025 class. It's really going to be the start of probably a trend that you're going to see in this class for Carolina. So we'll tell you about that, what Carolina can do to sort of counter that. And then, of course, at the end, we'll get you out of here with some NFL draft talk. Cedric Gray, Miles Murphy, and Tez Walker all participated in All-Star Games this past week. Uh, plenty of stuff coming out of those All-Star Games for, on all of those guys. We'll tell you all about that. So. Uh, plenty of stuff to do here tonight, but let's start with that advisory staff and the changes that were made on that side. And look, ultimately, you know, it really starts with, you know, I, I, th this is a group that they, they've been here for a while. Um, most of these guys, actually all, uh, you know, the three guys, two of them are official, and I'll tell you about that here in a second. Um, but the two guys that officially stepped away were here since Mac Brown came back, Daryl Moody's a guy that was here with Mac Brown the first time around too. Very familiar with him, um, but Daryl Moody was a guy 75 years old. Uh, was the pro liaison for uh, Carolina the last few years, and really that what what that entails is you're a guy that sort of handles the relationships that Carolina has 
with the NFL, with the pro scouts. You're you're basically the guy that's trying to get them to take a look at your guys when it comes to going to the next level. So um, he's the reason, you know, he, he's he's the guy that sort of talks to these scouts. He sits down with the players um, and he would tell them, like, look, this is what you have to do to get better. Now, the thing is, is that um, with him stepping away, Carolina does have his replacement in Brian Simmons. And yes, it's that Brian Simmons. It's the former linebacker for the Tar Heels. And it's the guy that was the primary analyst for Tar for the Tar Heels uh, on the football side of things. So, um, you know, of course, on the basketball side of things, Carolina having to uh, replace Eric Montross after his unfortunate passing. Um, this situation clearly a lot different, but Carolina is going to be looking for a new analyst on the football side of things as well, because Simmons will take over that role. Also the senior advisor to the head coach, but he's mostly going to focus on the pro liaison side of things. And so he'll be handling all those relationships. He'll be coordinating uh, Carolina's pro day. All that kind of stuff uh, will be on his plate. And for Daryl Moody, um, you know, for him, I, I think, you know, I speak for everyone when I say congratulations on a great career. I mean, 52 years in football, he, he was, you know, a coach um, in many different positions, a head coach a few times as well. Um, and then ultimately a guy that went into an advisory role. Um, he, he is one of the more well-respected guys around college football that uh, was still hanging on, um, you know, coaching or advising for as many years as he was. A Sparky Woods not far behind him, a guy that coached for more than 40 years. Um, a guy that, uh, interestingly enough, you know, one of uh, the guys that um, is a, a P1 over at WFNZ uh, on the main airwaves, uh, listens just about all the time. You know, he told me so many great stories about Sparky Woods when he was a head coach at App State. He actually played for him at App State. Um, and uh, Sir Lloyd, if you're watching, you know that's you. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a guy that also had a great career arc, was so involved on the coaching side of things, but fell into that senior advisory role uh, here in Chapel Hill to Mac Brown, was the guy that was handling a lot of the analytics stuff on the sidelines. You saw him with his book constantly on the sidelines, telling Mac Brown what the numbers were telling him. So Carolina's going to have to find somebody that's a key spot um, you know, in, in modern college football having a guy that handles the analytics side of things and can tell the coach, this is what the numbers are telling you to do. So Carolina is going to have to find somebody to replace him. And then this was reported by Ross Martin. Now I have not seen anything official. The other two guys, it was officially announced. Um, and look, Ross is incredibly well tied into everything going on in Chapel Hill, even now that he is gone and uh, is living up in Ann Arbor. But he said in a tweet the other day that was sort of pointing out how much turnover there was in the uh, advisory room that Corey Holiday has retired from his football administrator role. Now, I am, again, not 100% sure on that. That's one that I feel like until the program officially announces it, we'll have to wait and see. But that would be another significant loss in that advisory room. Uh, that would be three of the main guys. I mean, really, those those are three of your biggest guys. I mean, Dwight Hollier's in there as well. There's a couple other guys um, that are in there. But in terms of the main positions, those are three of your top positions that you would have to replace. So uh, it, it's definitely a time of change. Um, it feels like that could be a way to try to get a little bit younger, get some newer ideas in that room. Ultimately, not really sure how much of an effect that has on game day. Um, you know, we've seen that Mac Brown has looked to get a little bit younger this offseason with some of the additions that he has made. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think it, just having, you know, especially when it comes to that analytical side of things, I think getting a younger guy in that role could definitely help you. Not saying Sparky Woods didn't know what he was talking about, but Sparky Woods was also a guy that was old school. I mean, he he was the guy that uh, actually, if I'm remembering the timeline correctly, took over for Mac Brown at App State. I believe so, because it went App State, Tulane. Um, I don't have Mac Brown's coaching history, unfortunately, in front of me. Uh, App State, Tulane, Carolina, Texas, and then back to Carolina. Um, so, 
I, I mean, look, he's a guy that's been doing it for so long. I just don't know how well tied into the modern game he really was. I, I mean, I guess you could say, look, you're just reading numbers. You're, you're just a guy that has to be great with math. But it feels like having a younger guy in that role might actually be helpful for Carolina. And so um, I don't think it's the worst thing that you're getting some fresh uh, ideas in that room, some new blood in there. I've said that I think that's one of the things that Mac Brown ultimately has to do if he wants to take a step forward. And, you know, while this is probably the room, I mean, this is probably an area that we didn't really look at, not like the coaching staff where you have made some changes this offseason that we wanted to see you make. I still feel like this is Mac Brown telling you that, look, I'm trying to do some things different and I'm trying to find a way to get this team over that hump that they have talked about. Well, one of the other things that Carolina is trying to do to get the team over the hump is restock this roster this offseason, primarily in the trenches. And Carolina, you know, Mac Brown said in his last press conference that Carolina is still looking for help in the trenches. Well, they're probably done looking for help along the offensive line because they added their fourth transfer commit uh, of this window I'd be stunned if they add anybody else just because of the sheer amount of scholarships that they have added through the transfer portal there. Um, and they go with Ja'Kai Lefwich, the offensive tackle from Georgia Tech. Played in 18 games in the last two years. Started eight for the Yellow Jackets, all of them at right tackle. Uh, this is a guy, though, that uh, it's going to be a lot of work to get him into a position to be a really solid starter. I mean, again, he's a guy that we've seen in the ACC. There's no projecting here. He's played against the same opponents that Carolina has played against, and he struggled, um, especially in pass protection. He's allowed 28 total pressures in 381 pass protection reps. Um, just, you know, that that is a horrible pressure rate. Um, it's the reason why he has been in and out of the lineup. He hasn't been a full-time starter for Carolina. Um, and look, he's not really a great run blocker either. Posted a sub uh, 55 run grade in each of his two seasons. So there really isn't a strength for him on really anywhere, um, which is concerning. You, you want to get guys that at least are strong in one area for Carolina because you need to get better along the offensive line. And ultimately, I mean, look, it, it might be a little bit harsh, but the thing is, is that Carolina has brought in guys with gigantic question marks along this offensive line so far in this transfer portal. Look, I started out really liked Austin uh, Blasquez that came in, um, that uh, or uh, Blasquez, uh, Blasky, excuse me. I, I literally said the same name uh, correctly again, but or incorrectly again. But, I mean, the thing is, is he even he is a guy that hasn't started at the college level. I, I think that's a guy that projects well, though, because he went to Georgia. He gets beat out by one of the most talented uh, offensive tackles in his class. But at the same time, we don't know anything concrete about him. Um, and then, I mean, the other guys you're bringing in, you know, Leftwich, a guy who struggled in the ACC, uh, is he a guy that just really needs a change of scenery? Or is he a guy that we've seen him go against ACC players and he's just not a guy that can handle playing at this level? Um, then you got Howard Sampson, the transfer from North Texas. And I get it. Randy Clements recruited him to North Texas. The thing is, or, well, no, excuse me. He didn't even actually recruit him to North Texas. He just coached him uh, his first year there. The thing is, is that Howard Sampson's never been a full-time starter. He started the final two games of last season for North Texas, was pretty solid, but now is going to be a guy that's going to be expected to take the leap and become a starter for Carolina at the right tackle spot that's being left behind by Spencer Rowland. And then you go to the interior and Carolina goes into the division three ranks and gets Zach Greenberg. And look, Zach Greenberg, we've seen guys come up from lower levels before, um, you know, it, out of the transfer portal these last few years at other schools, and it's worked out. I'm not saying that Zach Greenberg 
cannot help this team at some point. The problem is, is, is this a guy that's going to help Carolina this year? Because you look at where this offensive line is, and they're in a they're, they're in a pretty rough spot. They're bringing back one starter. Their one starter that's coming back is Willie Lampkin, and we don't even know where he's going to play. we got to figure out where Austin Belosky is going to play, and wherever he ends up settling, that will determine where Willie Lampkin ultimately ends up playing. He could have to be moved to center. That means that both of your guards – your, your, both of your guard spots are open. You have to find new starting guards. You also then have to find your starting left tackle. If Blaske, if Blaski slides in at center, then Willie Lampkin will stay at right guard for you. I feel like then you're in a real dire situation because then not only do you have to find your starting left tackle with Diego Pounds having left, but you also have to find a starting right tackle and you've still got to find your starting left guard. So regardless, Carolina is going to have to find three starters along that offensive line. And look, that room has got some guys that are talented. Um, this is the time, more than any, that the door is open for Zach Rice to step up. Um, you know, Carolina has been transitioning him from high school when he was a left tackle. They've been transitioning him to left guard, um, and hopefully. He has taken enough of a leap this offseason. Hopefully, the other thing is he can stay healthy enough to actually contribute there. But there's other guys that, that you know, Carolina probably wasn't expecting to have to count on so early that are going to have to step up. And then at the tackle spots, I mean, I love Trevion Green. But again, same thing that we're, I just talked about with Zach Rice. Is he going to be able to stay healthy? He hasn't been able to really stay on the field during spring and fall camp because he's been in and out of the lineup with injuries. If he stays healthy, he is a more than capable player and more than likely Carolina will need him to be the guy at left tackle. I really like the prospects that we've seen from him. You know, uh, some of the tape that I've seen of him, um, you know, at the college level, a little bit that we've seen of him in the spring games and what we've heard from Mac Brown, it seems like the, that he's a guy that the staff really likes, but outside of him in that nightmare scenario where they need another starting tackle, who is that guy? Like, I guess it's Leftwich, but I would rather see somebody else honestly step up into that role. Maybe it's finally time for Eli Sutton to break out. He's been here for a few years now. Um, you hope that he's a guy that can finally make those strides as a former four-star coming out of high school, but honestly, I mean, he wasn't recruited here by Randy Clements, wasn't even recruited here by the previous offensive line coach either. So, I mean, that's a lot to ask of him to step in. And then some of the younger guys that are coming in, I mean, are some of these guys ready to step into these bigger roles, guys that were brought in just this past year? Um, are, are they ready to play, you know, significant snaps for Carolina along the offensive line or even true freshmen? Could there be some of those guys that potentially get looks despite not being the four and five star prospects that Carolina has been able to bring in at times along that offensive line? So there's so many questions. And the thing is, I'm just a little bit frustrated with the approach that this staff is taking. I, I put out an article a couple of weeks ago that laid out some amazing options for Carolina in the transfer portal. And I really think if Carolina looked at some of those options and Maybe some of those guys don't meet the academic standards, so you would have to take them off the board. But I find it hard to believe that all of those guys that I laid out, the majority of which do not really seem to have any sort of you know, offers that they're close to committing on or anything like that, I find it hard to believe that Carolina couldn't have made it work with one of those guys along the offensive line. And there were guys like Vincent Murphy, the transfer from Western Kentucky at center that I think would be an amazing addition, would allow you to keep Willie Lampkin at right guard, would allow you to use Austin Blosky at right tackle, and would give you a legitimate starter that I think is deserving of a chance to be back at the Power 5 level after he started his career there but then had to transfer down to Western Kentucky. Um, you know, there, there were a couple other big names as well um, you know, the, the transfer, uh, Gary and Hatchett, 
out of uh, Washington, a guy that I thought, you know, he got a chance to start for Washington uh, this past year. Uh, ultimately, you know, got phased out because there were other guys along that group that were a little bit better. But I think if he got a second chance at a place like Carolina, he would probably be pretty good. And Carolina didn't even entertain it. They didn't go after anybody legitimate along that offensive line after they got Blosky. And to me, that that is just, I mean, frankly, it's malpractice. Like, you want to take a step offensively. You've got uncertainty at the quarterback position. You're going to have to lean heavily on your run game. And the offensive line group that was there last year uh, faded down the stretch of the season again because, especially in pass protection, they just weren't doing the job that they needed to. And they weren't run blocking really well the entire season. The yards before contact were not very great. So you had a chance to sort of retool that unit this season, and you chose not to? That's an interesting strategy, to say the least. And it's why I'm going to be extremely concerned about the offensive line heading in. The defensive line on the other side, yeah, I, I wrote an article uh, that came out um, that next week where I kind of laid out the guys on the defensive side, uh, all of them, you know, interior defensive linemen. I'd like to see Carolina bring someone else in there, but that's really just to get a, a, a fresh body in that room, somebody that can bring up something a little different than the guys that have been in there. To me, that's a unit that you can live with the guys that you have. They're an extremely talented bunch coming out of high school, and I think ultimately – if you give them the right coaching, which I feel like Ted Monachino can do, I feel like that's more of his strength. Um, I worry more about him on the recruiting trail as opposed to actually coaching up technique. I think you'd be fine with that group that you have. But the offensive line, it's just a completely different feel. Well, Carolina won't be getting help on that defensive line in the 2025 class, though. They won't be able to continue rolling in that defensive talent. Um, and this is one, look, you're not going to blame Ted Monachino for this one. Um, but Carolina losing one of their targets, one of the top targets in the state of North Carolina in the 2025 class. Uh, and that is four-star defensive lineman Isaiah Campbell. He commits to Clemson after taking a visit, huge uh, visit weekend a couple of weeks ago. Uh, actually, it was uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before uh, where all those guys were on campus uh, in Clemson. And um, look, for him, it, this was a matter of time. Uh, I was not shocked by this at all. He had been a guy that had received crystal ball predictions even before taking that trip out there. Um, he was just a guy that right out of the gate, you knew Carolina was having to fight an uphill battle. And really everybody else besides Clemson, because Dabo Sweeney immediately established them as the favorites. Um, the bigger thing is, is that, one, this is a huge miss for Carolina in-state in terms of just the level of prospect. Um, and again, Carolina, you know, th this is going to be more of a battle than it's been in years past. Um, the recruits know. They, they've seen what's happened the last couple of years with Carolina, how they faded down the stretch, the fact that they can't beat NC State. Um, you know, the teams have, you know, or other schools have rolled in here. They're seeing the talent that is in this state and other schools outside of the state have rolled in here and had success. Clemson has always been a team that's done very well in the state of North Carolina on the recruiting trail. Dabo Sweeney has been tremendous at recruiting this state. Um, and you know, it's, it's kind of faded off a little bit here lately, but it really feels like this class, they are hitting this class incredibly hard because not only do you have Isaiah Campbell committing there, you have David Sanders Jr., the number one player in the state, number two overall player in the country who is sort of trending a little bit towards Clemson, I would say. Um, he doesn't have a crystal ball prediction uh, in their favor, like we saw with Campbell, like we see with the number two player in the state, Jordan Young, who just took a visit there. Um, really, you know, Jordan Young's recruitment, a uh, guy actually right down the street from me here uh, over at Monroe High School, uh, just outside of Charlotte, uh, he was a guy that didn't 
really seem like he was leaning in any direction. There were a couple teams that were involved with him. Carolina was involved with him pretty heavily. State, Maryland, I know, was a team that was involved with him. But, I mean, Clemson ends up hosting him for a visit over that weekend and immediately becomes a favorite, receives a crystal ball prediction. Uh, so now it looks like there's a chance that the the top three players or top uh, three of the top four players in the state could be heading to Clemson, and it could happen rather soon. Um, again, with David Sanders, there's, there's still a lot that has to be decided. Um, there's nothing that I think is set in stone with him, especially with how national his recruitment is. Uh, teams like Georgia, teams like Alabama – uh, they could certainly, you know, start to put a little more pressure on him to get down and visit them. Um, there could be, you know, more NIL money, of course, that slid uh, over the table, um, you know, that could potentially allow him to go in that direction. And who knows? Carolina is one of those schools as well that could factor in there, especially because he does have teammates um, that, or a teammate uh, that went there. Um, from this past year's team. So I definitely think that, you know, it's not over with him, but it's feeling like Clemson is in a really good spot. And then even Bryce Davis, the number three player in the state, uh, he was on campus uh, in Chapel Hill over this weekend, visiting, went to the Duke game. Uh, he just tweeted out today uh, how great of a visit it was and some of the photos from his visit. Look, that one is one where Carolina has a really good chance. Um, I think that would be a battle to the finish. I don't think there's any doubt about that because Clemson is having such a strong recruiting class. He, he It seems like at this point he just has to consider them. Uh, there are other teams that are going to be involved with him as well. He's the number 72 overall prospect in the class. So he's just too talented for others not to be involved with him. But um, it feels like Carolina, even in that one, they do have a lot of work still to do to be able to land his commitment. And so with that, you're talking about maybe the best modern recruiting class in the history of the state. I mean, this is as loaded of a recruiting class as you're going to get. Carolina, um, you know, this is this is a year where we said it, you know, early, early on, said it last year. This is a class that Carolina has to be able to do a good job in. They have to find a way to keep some of these guys in state because they're simply just too much talent. And you look at the top five guys in the state, and you know, as I mentioned, Sanders, young guys that are trending to Clemson, Davis, a guy that's a little bit of a toss-up. They probably feel pretty decent about where they're at, but at the same time, Clemson's in that one. Campbell's already committed to uh, Clemson. And even, you know, Jaden Blair is a guy that Carolina, I feel like, is, you know, in on. I, I believe he has gotten an offer from Carolina, but I'm not 100% sure about that. But even with him, you know, Carolina's not one of the teams that's really trending for him at this point. He's already set some official visits. South Carolina uh, Notre Dame, Penn State, and Michigan are the ones that he has already set official visits for. Carolina, nowhere to be found. So really, you got to go all the way down to the sixth overall player in the class before you find a guy that Carolina probably feels pretty good about where they're at with Shamarius uh, Paterkin. Um, you got, of course, Bryce Baker that's already committed to the class. But, I mean, Carolina is just not – in a great spot with the top players in the class. Now, look, once you start going even further down, it starts to get very similar to this past year's class for Carolina. Uh, Trajan Odom's a guy that Carolina is in a, a pretty solid spot with. I know NC State is a team that's pushing hard for him as well. Uh, Tayshawn Alston is a guy that Carolina has hosted multiple times. Um, I mean, he he is probably the most frequent visitor. He He might be up there since I've been covering recruiting for Carolina football in terms of the amount of she, uh, of unofficial visits that he has taken to campus. I mean, this dude, at any chance that he has to get to Carolina, he is there. And then, of course, they've got Trey Blue uh, that is also committed to the class, ranked number 12 according to 
the 24-7 sports composite rankings in the state. Now, those are the only guys that are ranked at this time. There'll be other guys that will, of course, emerge as we go further along in this process. So Carolina's in a good spot with some of those guys. But the top guys, and a couple of years ago, though, that was the difference for Carolina, was that they were landing the best of the best. And again, David Sanders is a lot to ask. Jordan Monroe, or Jordan Young, excuse me, Adam Monroe, uh, might be a lot to ask at this point. But a guy like Bryce Davis, who's from Greensboro, that's one that's in Carolina's backyard. You feel like they should be able to get that one. I'd like to see them get more heavily involved with Jaden Blair. But, I mean, you're just seeing that the state, which when Mac Brown came back, he said he was going to build a fence around the state. And he did. The first three years that he was here, he did a great job of building a fence around the state on the recruiting trail. But – the way that Carolina has slipped the last two years at the end of the season is becoming noticeable. It's becoming something that in-state prospects are having a hard time overlooking, and it's something that this coaching staff is going to have to fight an uphill battle with. The simple way to correct this, start winning. You know, Carolina was off to a 6-0 start last year. You saw some of that buzz start to come back. They fall off at the end of the season. That buzz is nowhere to be found now. So I think, you know, it's possible that Carolina can get there again, but they have to start actually exceeding expectations rather than falling short of them. You had generational quarterbacks and you weren't able to win the games that you needed to. And that's the reason why it's hurting you in recruiting. Now, you're not going to have that generational quarterback. At least we don't think. That might be a little unfair to Connor Harrell. We have to see. But you're talking about the two best quarterbacks that have rolled through your program and two of the best that have ever played in the ACC that were on your team for the last five years. Now, how does Carolina respond, and can they find a way to exceed the expectations? I mean, look, a lot of us – I mean, if you guys listen to the last edition or watch the last edition of the podcast, and if you haven't, go back and check it out where we break down the schedule because we give you our uh, early uh, record predictions for the season. I mean, a lot of people, guys, have Carolina 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five, somewhere in that range. So if Carolina can exceed those expectations, if they can find a way to win eight, maybe even nine games, then you will start to see them roll in some of these recruits. It will help them with these in-state guys. It's just – you got to put the results on the field in order to get these top players in the state. All right, let's transition from that. Uh, really quickly, I did want to tell you, before we make that the transition to our final topic of the day, I do have uh, something that I want to tell you about. It is the Autograph Fandom app. And here's the thing, guys. Do you want to get rewarded for listening to our show? Now, if you watch live, then unfortunately you can't get rewarded for that. They haven't figured out just yet how to add Facebook videos in there, although that might be something that I have to talk to them about adding there. But if you're someone that likes to go back and listen to our show, maybe you don't stick around for the whole episode, but you want to listen to it on the way back, or if you want to listen to the Four Corners podcast or basketball podcast with me and Josh throughout the season, then you need the Autograph Fandom app. Team at Autograph, co-founded by Tom Brady, is redefining the experience of being a fan by letting users earn points for the acts of fandom that they take every day, like listening to this show, reading our articles on the Heel Tough blog website, everything like that. Now, the thing is, is you have to get the app, the Autograph Fandom app. It gives you access to all of your Carolina content in one spot and offers rewards like tickets, exclusive merchandise, and more. You're already listening to our show, but now you can earn points and get rewarded for it. Same thing with the articles as well, and even some of the other great writers that we have in this Tar Heel community. The, the thing you want to do, head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Fandom Rewarded and download it for free using the referral code HEELTOUGH. That's heel tough, all one word, uh, on the autograph fandom rewarded app. The link 
and code. They will also be in our podcast description on, uh, you know, the, uh, the audio editions. It will not be here. I did not put it uh, in the description here on Facebook, but uh, make sure that you guys go and check that out again. Use that referral code. They will ask you for one in order to get into the app. All you got to do, simple, no charge, just put in heel tough. It'll allow you to get in there. And guys, in terms of the rewards and everything like that, I said tickets in there. They did this last year with Michigan football, um, this past season that just went by, and they actually ended up sending fans to the Rose Bowl and sending uh, some fans to the national championship. So you want to get in on this as soon as possible. All right, let's transition to our final topic of the night. And we got to talk to you guys about what happened uh, in the All-Star Games for Carolinas uh, for, for their uh, draft prospects. And, man, it was a really successful week for two of the guys. Um, now, two of them, they were separated. They were not in the uh, same event. Uh, it was Miles Murphy leading off the week at the East-West Shrine game. And he looked fantastic from all of the accounts of people that were there. He was a guy that really stood out along the defensive line. Um, there, you know, I don't know if a lot of people considered him the best at his position. There were a couple other guys I thought um, the, the brothers from UCLA that really stood out, but Miles was right there with some of those guys in terms of the production that he was showing. A um, couple of clips that came out that I think really shocked a lot of people. Uh, his bull rush was something that was talked about the whole week down there. Apparently, he was showing that off. Uh, now, I mean, look, I don't know if it was just great matchups with some of these interior offensive linemen that were there or what, but it honestly is looking like it's it's probably the coaching. Uh, and that is a really, really tough look if we see him go to the NFL and immediately become some sort of impact player for a team. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's ultimately what's going to end up happening, but I saw a guy that looked a lot more confident, um, played very fast, had a great release off the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, there were a couple of times, I mean, you know, one of the other videos from practice that I saw that I really liked from him, uh, I mean, just a, a perfect swim move around the left guard and gets right after the quarterback. Um, and then it transitioned into the game. Uh, great, you know, uh, on the first drive, Great release off the line of scrimmage, good acceleration to the quarterback, forces an incompletion, registers a quarterback pressure on a screenplay. Uh, and then, you know, you saw him a couple of times throughout the rest of the day, does a good job of shedding off tacklers, um, was there in the run game, didn't make a ton of tackles, only one in the game. But still, you felt his presence there for the majority of the day. And he also registered a sack for Carolina. That's right. That was his only tackle in the game. Now, again, it was a face mask. If anybody saw it, he definitely got the face mask of Jack Plummer uh, and brought him down. But uh, I mean, look, he, and by the way, I said for Carolina, it was for the East team. Uh, he, uh, I, I know Carolina did not actually suit up in that game, but um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, for him, I'm happy for the player. But ultimately, it is a little bit frustrating that you weren't able to see that in his time at Carolina. And again, I think it really goes to show that a lot of it is coaching because you're, you're probably going to see it with a couple other guys that come out of this defensive line room. They were so talented coming out of high school. It's just, did Carolina not put them in the right situations? Did Carolina not put them in the right positions? I have no idea. This one wouldn't be a position issue because he played the same spot here at the Senior Bowl that, or here at the East-West Shrine game, excuse me, that he played when he was at Carolina. So it really looks like more of a technique thing. For some reason, they were able to get a little bit more out of him. And hopefully that means ultimately he'll end up on a roster in the NFL, I think there is a pretty good chance that somebody ends up drafting him after what we saw the other day. Uh, it probably almost guarantees that he's going to get an invite to the combine if there was any question of that. And, uh, you know, he was seen as a guy that was probably a late day three pick. And I think now, you know, if he keeps building on that performance, if he 
starts talking to more teams. He was talking to a few while he was out there um, that really apparently liked him. Uh, the Lions, the Packers, and the Eagles were the teams uh, that reportedly stuck out the most. Um, if, if those teams really do fall in love with him and if he can have a really solid combine, then I think he's a guy that could potentially – to get a look in, you know, that fifth round. But ultimately, even if he ends up in the sixth round, seventh round, I think he's got a chance to go somewhere and potentially be a solid rotational player at the next level based on what we saw from him at the East-West Shrine game. Now, you go to the Senior Bowl, and it was really a tale of two different players. Um, you had a guy that helped himself immensely, maybe helped himself even more than Murphy did, and Cedric Gray, who was outstanding the entire week. And you had Tez Walker, who may have had one of the worst weeks that we have seen from anybody at the Senior Bowl. Um, it was really that bad. And we'll start with the negative with Tez Walker. Um, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was just he had a rough first practice. He struggled catching the football and was just never able to regain his confidence. That's really what it looked like to me. But, man, um, I mean, the second day of practice was brutal. Five, six drops at least in the drills. And, you know, he bounces back on Thursday, the final practice, has a solid practice, wasn't blowing anybody away, but was solid, caught the ball pretty well. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, maybe he settled into a rhythm and now in the actual bowl game, he will have a chance to thrive, played a ton of snaps, was one of three receivers that actually suited up and played for the national team because apparently we are at the point where that's right. Not only are you not going to suit up for your bowl game um, with your college team, it used to be, well, I'm going to save myself. I'm going to go through the week of practice and I'm going to participate in the senior bowl. And that will be a chance for scouts to get a look at me. Well, apparently now the thing is, is not only are you going to go there and, uh, you know, treat it like a regular bowl game, you're going to go there, practice for a couple of days, and then potentially dip out. And I think it could get to the point where if guys have that good of a first practice, you may not even see guys stay the rest of the week. They may go ahead and head out as long as they have sat down and interviewed with all the teams that they feel like are going to interview them. Um, but ultimately, he's a guy that benefited off of all the other guys sitting out. He was targeted six times in the game. He didn't catch a single pass in the game. And he had some golden opportunities and some shots down the field. And that's the frustrating part is those are the areas where Tez has to succeed. And it's frustrating. It's, it's not – it's frustrating because this is a kid that we really want the story to be great. And for him to go there and struggle like that, you know, look, you can't, I'm not putting too much on him. There were so many great wide receivers that were there. We've seen this before where guys just struggle when they go to these types of events. But in terms of his draft stock, this is this is a pretty big blow because this is another this is it's become like this every year. And this year is no different. It is an absolutely loaded wide receiver group. And there's you know, if you're a first round guy, usually you're someone that sticks out. Even if you struggle a little bit at the combine, if you struggle at one of these types of events, you can usually survive that and still stay near the top. When you're a guy that's in that second, third round, early day three range, you can drop so quickly because there are so many guys that are like you. There are so many guys that are lumped in to a group together. And for Tez, you know, it felt like one of the most important things that he had to show while he was out there was that he could be a, a, a reliable target because his, his route tree was so limited. When you combine the limited route tree with the drop issues, with the fact that he just couldn't seem to get two hands on the football, no matter how hard he tried, that's what's concerning. And you hope that that's something that he can shake off. Um, the, the one thing that, you know, I, I think 
you look at in his game, and we didn't really see a whole lot of it at Carolina either, but a guy in his size has to be able to high point the football. And I think that was a big part of his struggles the other day was there were opportunities for him to go up and catch the football. And instead of going up and trying to high point it, he's fading away, trying to catch it one-handed uh, while he's trying to push off you know, the, the defensive back, create a little bit of extra separation. Now, I, in all fairness, the first play of the game, which I think sort of set a bad precedent for him, I didn't count that as a drop on my end. I thought it was one where the corner was able to get away with a hold on his right hand, forced him to have to make a one-handed attempt at it with his left hand. And really from that point on, I mean, the whole day just completely fell apart. Uh, there was an interception that was thrown while in his direction. He was targeted on the play. That one wasn't his fault. It was just a horrendous throw by Sam Hartman. But – I mean, this is, you know, for him, I, I think this is one of those types of weeks, even more because than the combine would be, that probably drops you because you're there with all of these receivers. They get to see you go through regular drills against defensive backs and you're in pads, all that kind of stuff, as opposed to the combine where it's literally you just showing off your athleticism. Yeah. He'll have a chance to bounce back in some of those drills with, you know, how he catches the football. But it really felt like this was an opportunity for him to make a push to potentially be an early second rounder, maybe even a late first round guy. Like some of the guys saw him, a guy like Daniel Jeremiah had him as a late first round guy coming in. And now, but I got to be honest, I find it hard to believe somebody will draft him before the third round, I, I really think this is that damaging for him. And, you know, for th that is one of the main reasons I reached out to Trevor Sikama. He hasn't gotten back to me. So we're going to, I'm going to try to reach out to some other draft guys. I really want to know how much damage this did for his draft stock. And the other thing that I want to know on the positive side is how much did Cedric Gray help himself during this week? Uh, practices. Again, the linebackers are not the focus of these types of drills. The linebackers, the running backs, those are guys that are almost forgotten about when it comes to the practices. Everybody wants to see how did the defensive backs match up with the receivers, who's standing out amongst the receiver groups, what do the quarterbacks look like, and then when they get into the offensive line uh, or into the trench drills, who's standing out along the offensive and defensive line. The linebackers and your running backs are typically your guys that are forgotten about at these all-star events. But one of the guys that stood out over and over again when they were going through these linebacker drills was said Gray. You saw the ability to cover in space. He was the guy that multiple times, running backs, running routes, easily knocks down the ball right there with them. And that's an area that Sed's had to improve since he's gotten to Carolina. But boy, has he. He looked outstanding there. And then you get to the game, and he might have been the best defensive player that was out there all day. There are some other guys that are really good. Braden Fisk out of Florida State is going to be a freaking monster at the NFL level. But Sed was everywhere. Early in the game, I thought there were a couple times he got pushed around. But once he settled in, I mean, he was doing an amazing job shedding blocks, did a great job um, filling the gaps in the run game. Uh, and then, uh, you know, in coverage, he did exactly everything carried over from what we saw in the drills, from what we saw in his time at Carolina. He has two huge pass breakups. Um, he, he does a great job tackling in space at right before halftime, two tackles in the middle of the field that – keep the clock running when the American team didn't have any timeouts. Just, a, I mean, showed how smart of a player he is and showed just how complete of a player he actually is. Probably, you know, in order to really be a, a every down linebacker, it's probably going to have to get just a little bit more physical. But, I mean, this is a guy that I thought the other day probably secured himself as a day two type of player. Now, because he's a linebacker, because he's an inside linebacker in particular, he's a guy, off-ball linebacker, honestly, is a better way to explain it. Um, because he fits that role 
Uh, he's probably a guy that there is a chance he falls into the fourth round because that is a position group that teams will let fall in the draft. They will take those guys later on and get pretty good value. But I do think that he will probably be one of the first four, five linebackers off the board. And I think that's great for him. I think he'll land in a great situation, and I think he's going to show that he has the capability of being a really, really good player at the next level. Um, so, yeah, look, over the next couple of weeks, that's going to be one of the main things that we're going to be focused on. You have the combine coming up at the end of the month, uh, and then you have about a month until the uh, – or no, about two months until the NFL draft. So I will be looking for NFL draft guys to get on, to talk about those guys. Um, you know, But at the same time, we'll be keeping you up to date on everything else that is going on with Tar Heel football. Um, the biggest thing, guys, is make sure you head over to the website, heeltuplog.com, because, look, we're in basketball season. Clearly, with a team that is as good as they are, we're focused on them uh, at this time of year. So the, the biggest thing that I'm trying to say is I'm not going to be able to get on here and do a podcast every time there is a piece of news that comes out for Tar Heel football. We'll strategically do it. Going to at least do one a week, typically. There's sometimes where it'll be spaced out where it might not be exactly a week. But typically, I'm going to try to do one a week for you guys. But the biggest thing to do is make sure you're locked in on the articles on that website, HeelToughBlog.com, because when any of this type of news breaks, I've got you covered on that side of things. We've also got you covered on the basketball side of things over there. Carolina just took down Duke, as I told you at the start of the podcast. Got an article up uh, recapping the game. And then I've got an article breaking down the veterans uh, and how big they were for Carolina in that game the other night. They really stepped up and were a big difference for the Tar Heels against a uh, Blue Devil team that thought that they had a pretty good amount of experience for them. But when you're facing a team that's as veteran as Carolina, you got to be a lot better than that if you want to take down the Tar Heels. Josh, of course, We'll have you covered on the website with a preview of the Clemson game. Uh, meanwhile, on the podcast side of things, the Four Corners podcast, make sure you search it wherever you get your podcast, same places that you get your podcast, uh, that you get this podcast if you are a listener. Um, we, we have already previewed the game against Clemson. Also, make sure you go back. Listen to that one, of course. But make sure you go back and check out the Duke recap as well. You don't want to miss the reaction to a huge, huge win for Carolina, arguably the biggest of the season as they took down the Blue Devils. So all of that great stuff, you can find it all on the website as well, tabs at the top for both podcasts. And once again, HeelToughBlog.com. And also make sure you are checking out the Autograph app so that if you read those articles in that app, you can get rewarded for it. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast here tonight. want to thank everybody that stopped in and was watching this evening. Uh, make sure that you guys check out all that stuff that I promoted. But for now, Anthony Pagnotta stepping away saying so long and as always, go Tarzan!